Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name. And we're still here. Why is it that with sparkling water, I'm always playing guessing games with what flavor I'm drinking? Is it citrus? Is it aluminum can flavored? Mm, not sure. Sparkling ice, though, they really mean flavor. Like in-your-face flavor. Orange mango, black raspberry. Don't even get me started on the strawberry lemonade. Kiwi Strawberry slid right into my taste buds DMs last night and let them know who's boss. No subtleties there and no sugar either. But it does have vitamins and antioxidants. Find sparkling ice at a major grocery store or club retailer near you. Sparkling ice. Anything but subtle. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Nobody alongside me today. It is the off-season, after all. The Sharks working. We're actually recording this during working hours. My wife isn't too thrilled. Uh, she's got to work. I asked her to take off her Wi-Fi on her phone just so I could make sure we got a great connection with our interview today with Landon Lucas. I was jacked up to interview him terrific stories really great insight into his time at kansas and also this current kansas team of course the national champions so stay tuned for that here in a matter of moments we're brought to you by the barn burner podcast network go subscribe on whichever device it is that you use there's no point in having a college trooper of the week let's just say it's landon lucas because he was kind enough to spend his time with us former big man for the university of kansas by way of portland uh landon lucas college trooper of the week We're brought to you by Royal Digital Marketing, a.k.a. RDM. RDM specializes in website development and digital marketing for small businesses and startups. So if you need a website, contact them at colin at royaldigital.co. That's C-O-L-I-N at royaldigital.co. And make sure to check out the website at theaterincollegehoops.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains.
All right. The offseason continues. We have a wonderful interview with former Kansas big man, Landon Lucas. Like I said, I'm trying to get as many interviews as possible, as many guests onto the program for this offseason. We're going to be continuing to write more blogs. I was in the office the other day for the first time, and I don't know how long, and I was bored out of my mind. So what I tried to do was type up a blog while also making it look like I'm furiously at work. When in reality, I was just reacting to the Jay Wright news. But we do have a great interview with Landon Lucas. Absolutely no point in me delaying that any further. Let's get to him. Here's Landon Lucas. It is a huge pleasure to welcome to the program a four-time Big 12 regular season champion and all Big 12 honorable mention, the host of the Glue Guys podcast on the field of 68. Go check that out. Hailing from Portland, Oregon, we got Kansas Jayhawk, Landon Lucas. Landon, thank you so much for joining us. It's been about three weeks now since the confetti fell on your Jayhawks celebrating their title win in New Orleans. Are we still celebrating? Has Have we flipped the page to next year? Where are we right now in this offseason? Well, first off, that was quite the intro, so I appreciate that. That was uh, very good. Um, as far as this last few weeks, I mean, um, you know, as Kansas fans, and I can only speak for myself, but I'm pretty sure a lot of us are just uh, enjoying this time. I, you know, th there's some looking ahead, um, especially with the announcements that we got this last week about, you know, guys going to the NBA and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, a, a big part of these last few weeks was just enjoying uh, this win because, you know, as Kansas fans, this was an up and down year that I think a lot of people um, weren't 100% sold on the fact that this could be the team to do it and for them to step up and actually get it done. Um, you know, everyone's pretty happy and just enjoying this time right now. Well, it's incredibly difficult to make the final four. I tell that to so many people. It is such a grind going through the NCAA tournament and seeing this team they pretty much handled business for the most part, I would say, maybe outside of obviously the title game where it's expected to have some stiff competition and maybe the Providence game as well. But you mentioned that there were some times in the season where there was a bit of doubt. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking at the last, the second half of the first half, if that makes sense, where UNC, I think, went on like a 15 0 run, something like that, I said to myself, I haven't seen Kansas play this poorly since they got beat at home by Kentucky. Kentucky yeah. What was going through your mind? Take us back to that Kentucky game. Was that one of those pivotal games where you thought, or maybe the fan base thought, I don't know if this Jayhawks team has it in them? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's something, and uh, we had Coach Self on the, the podcast this morning, and I asked him, you know, about his thoughts on the team this season stuff. And he was like, well, it's interesting because if you look back to the, you know, 08 team or the past teams he's had, you know, the teams I played on, one of the things he said was, we're never losing at home by 20 plus points, you know, that just doesn't happen, you know? And so I think that that was kind of how a lot of the fan base felt was, you know, this isn't normal. You don't, you know, you may lose uh, maybe a road game or a neutral side and, you know, have an off night, but to be at Allen field house for college game day and have a team just come in and completely, you know, dominate um, that was shocking to see, but um you know, this team was just different. You know, I think that things like that have helped. Um, we uh, spoke with uh, Coach Townsend, one of the assistant coaches, right after that game. And uh, he admitted that 
you know, he, he had the scout for Kentucky and that, you know, it was one of those games where they just all, all things were clicking for them and nothing was clicking for Kansas. Um, but, you know, I think that you can learn from that. They learned from the, the last loss to TCU that they took. And there were a few moments during the season where as a fan, you may look at it like, OK, this is uh, something that is hurting uh, their perception of this team and long term, you know, where this team can go. But as a player and a coach, you um, can really learn about a lot about, you know, who your team is and how you bounce back from it. And I think that they, you know, obviously answered the call well and um, probably learned a lot, you know, going into the postseason and in games where they were the favorite they were able to maybe, you know, turn their mindset into that underdog mentality um, and, and pull out some big wins uh, like they did. I mean, you answered the bell as well as you could. You, <laughs> the Kansas literally ended up yeah, you got on title. top. I mean, that, that's one way to go ahead and, and put all that to, to rest in the bed and, you know, make a mark in the history books that this team uh, – you know, there would have been some memories of this team, but if they go out, you know, let's just say lose that second round to Creighton or, you know, lose to, to Miami in the Elite Eight, uh, it's just a completely different storyline that's taking place. Yeah, and that's just another – I mean, people say feather in the cap. I'll say feather in the tail for the Jayhawks. And not only were you Big 12 champs, national champs, but I think you owned the Big East as well. You beat Creighton. You beat Providence. Uh, there was another Big East team in there. Villanova, right? Vill- Villanova, of course, duh. Um, and and I, going back to that Kentucky game, it just to me – I'm never one for the way too early preseason rankings or the way too early national players of the year, coaches of the year, especially when it comes to college basketball, because it's the most unpredictable sport. Kentucky beats Kansas on the road by 20 plus what happens in the tournament. Kansas goes on to win the national title. Kentucky loses in the first round to St. Peter's. It's just, it's so wild. And and I want to get to your journey here in a second, but before we do that, tell me about your setup for the national title game. Like the TV setup, were you with some alums? Yeah, yeah. What was well, going we on? Actually, so we, I was planning on going, uh, I have a, a 15 month old right now, so it makes it kind of difficult. I had plans on going and then last minute, uh, you know, decided to back out. So I ended up just watching it here. Um, and, uh, you know, it was it was fun. I think that it was the first time that um, this season was really the first time since playing there where I've been able to follow the team as a fan uh, before I was either playing, you know, um, focused on basketball. I was overseas, you know, so it was tough to follow like I did this year. Um, and so that really from game one all the way until the last game, be able to follow this team and then, you know, interact with fans be on Twitter during the games like I as a player you just play the game you know you're not really worried about what people are thinking but it was just so it's so funny to see the emotions of a fan base you know rise and fall the roller coaster and through a game like that where you know they 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 set a, a record for the uh, comeback that they made uh, it was kind of fun to experience that from a fan's perspective you know I've been a part of comebacks you know from a player but to see that from the fan and see the emotions and then ultimately um, them get it done was really exciting. Um, I enjoyed my setup while I wasn't able to be there. Like I was hoping to, you know, sometimes being able to just be in the comfort of your own home is fun too. And I'll tell you at halftime, I was, I was kind of glad I didn't go. <laughs> and then after the game, I was like, all right, that would have been fun. But the last thing I would have wanted was to fly down there and, um, and then be a part of, uh, you know, a big, big class but um yeah it was it was fun to to go ahead and watch from here and interact with all the fans like i was able to do be perfectly transparent and honest here is it tougher 
being a player down 15 or is it tougher being a fan of a team? Oh, down it's 100,000% tougher being a fan. Um, as a player, uh, it's really interesting how you just you get locked in um, and you don't really think about it. even nerves. Um, you know, as a fan, I felt more nerves at the end of the game, like, Oh, what's going to happen? Uh, whereas as a player, you're more in control of things. You just feel like, okay, I just got to execute my job, do this. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there's been moments as a fan, I've been more nervous than say I, I had free throws at Baylor uh, top five matchup to, to, to win the game. And like, felt much less pressure then than I did like watching. I remember some of those games through the regular season, they would always come down to the end. It seemed like this year. Uh, and yeah, the nerves as a fan just are, are exponentially more some for some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. I think it has something to do with just a lack of control. Like you said, you got the ball exactly. in your hands at the free throw line. I thought what a, I mean, you had mentioned the, the comeback. I thought one of the funniest quotes in the post game presser was Christian Brown telling the reporters like, Hey, we were in the locker room. David McCormick looks at us and he says, we've been here before. Christian Brown was like, I haven't been here before. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> I, I, I think I got the names right, but that was, that was yeah, so yeah. good. Yeah. That, I, I, that was a, that was a lot of fun to listen to. And Christian's one of our favorite players as well, but let's get to you for a second. Tell me, how does a kid from Portland make it all the way to Lawrence, Kansas? Yeah. Well, I, um, this was during my AAU time. Um, I believe it was my junior year. Um, I had been recruited pretty heavily up until that point, but mainly my focus was on the Pac-12. Um, that's, you know, I've been growing up in that area and then having my dad play at Oregon. Um, I just, my, my focus was always that I was going to go to some Pac-12 school. Um, and they did a really good job recruiting me from the time I was uh, first in the high school. My first offer was Arizona. Um, so I really was thinking that that was the path I was going. And then I played a game um, in uh, Vegas and we played Perry Ellis um, and his team. It was Perry Ellis and Buddy Heald were on the team. And I was on a team from Seattle. And uh, I remember the night before we actually did not sleep, believe it or not. <laughs> and uh, just pulled an all nighter back in the day when you could do this and pop a five hour energy and go out and play. Um, and we went out and played like an 8 a.m. game. And uh, I think it was Coach Townsend and Coach Self were there um, to see Buddy Heald and, and Perry, who Perry had already committed there. Um, and I did pretty well. <laughs> I played very well. Uh, they had already, you know, heard of me, but they at the time were planning on signing um, uh, Caleb Tarzuski. Um, and so they reached out to, uh, my dad who was handling most of my recruiting process and said, Hey, you know, we're interested, but here's the situation. We, we are probably getting commitment from Caleb when that happens, we're out of scholarships and whatnot. And so I'm like, all right, you know, it is what it is. Thanks for the call. Um, uh, continued my recruiting process. And then, you know, a few months down the road, Caleb ended up kind of flipping and going to Arizona. And uh, that was the perfect opportunity. It was like, all right, well, if that's the case, then Arizona was actually one of my options. So now he went there and I was like, all right, well, let me, uh, you know, open up this recruiting to um, Kansas. I took a visit and um, <laughs> one of my uh, visits was the Missouri-Kansas final border war game where 
Uh, Thomas Robinson made the block. They go on to make a comeback and win in overtime and uh, couldn't have been a better game to go to. And I was pretty happy with my decision after uh, you know that visit that there was nowhere else I wanted to be, uh, even though I knew the path was going to be a little bit tougher at a school like Kansas. Um, you know, after experiencing something like that, I knew that that was the uh, place I wanted to strive to play at and uh, ended up being uh, probably one of the best decisions I, I could have made. Amazing. Amazing. And look, on this podcast, we shoehorn the fact that two of the, two of the three co-hosts, <laughs> me and my buddy Taylor, were Arizona guys, actually. So we always somehow oh, shoehorn. Right? Yeah. That's and right. I, I want to let the, the theater goers here know that Landon and I, in our communication, did, I did not let him know that I was an Arizona guy. So, but I didn't know about the. I mean, I knew Caleb. I think switched from Kansas to Arizona. He's from New Hampshire, I believe. So, I mean, that's yeah. another coastal guy. But th- there's a there's a bit of a portal between Arizona and Kansas big men. If you remember, Jeff Withy, I think started at Arizona, yeah. then transferred to Kansas as well. So I don't know. I, if you know I, we'll see how big of a fan you are right here. There was a guy <laughs> uh, who he didn't last very long and I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, shoot. Um, at Arizona. He, he transferred from Kansas to Arizona. He played. So this story is crazy and I, I, I go way off. Tar- no, go right for now. it. I love it. I so should know this. this. He had this kid and he, he came in, he reminded me so much of like a Dirk Nowinski, like had a turnaround was really nice. This was my freshman year. We went on an overseas trip. He played pretty well, came back and we had this thing called boot camp, which is where you go through, you know, a two weeks, very hard boot camp. Uh, I think it was day two. He told his roommate he was going out for sushi um, and never came back. <laughs> and we were like, what the heck? So the next morning we were we were sitting there waiting for him. And every minute that somebody's late, you have to run laps and whatnot. Um, and he just kept going late and late. We were, everybody was like, where is he? Well, a few days go by, nobody hears from him. Apparently he got in his car and drove to like uh, Colorado or something to see his buddy, then went to Texas and then next thing you know is just like shows up and was like, yeah, I just that was a lot for me. Or so I forgot exactly how the conversation went, but he ended up transferring to Arizona. Um, and then I don't know if he made it through uh, even a, a few months there. But that was uh, that was when I'm trying to hold on. Let me look him up. Please do. I, uh, I got a text. I got to text my buddy Taylor, who would who would probably jump in. I'm 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 not familiar with this story. I don't know. While you're looking it up, was it was it Sean Miller who was recruiting you uh, at that? Yeah, yeah. Sean Miller was the one. He recruited me. It was I was there his first year. Right. Um, and then this guy. It was a big white guy who, uh, God, I wish I could. Like, he may not, I don't think he lasted more than a few months, but he was in there. Um, That's a wild story, though, huh? Just saying, hey, I'm going to run out to randomly, Randomly just could not handle the, the boot camp and then left. And then next thing you know, he transferred to Arizona. We were like, oh, great. Like, he's going to be able to play there because he's he was good. Like, he yeah. was really good. I think. He his his father was just uh, somebody who created like um, some uh, app or something. So they were very wealthy, and I don't think that you know he really was feeling like going through the grind of college basketball. He was just like, why do I need to do that? Um, let me see. 
now it's going to bother me that I don't remember his name. Uh, shows you how long that he was playing. Uh, I I wonder if he if he made it through whatever boot camp Sean Miller had going on because I feel like we're pretty up to date on some of these players and and the names. Zach Peters was his name. Zach Peters. Zach Peters was his name. Yeah, Zach Peters. I don't remember Zach Peters. I'm up, texting my buddy going there, and I'm pretty sure that like. A few months in, he he transferred there. We followed him for a little while, and then like eventually, he was like a part of a frat and just hanging out. But let me tell you, this kid could he could ball out like in practices. You're talking like you know that that's the I'm pretty sure that was the uh, Joel year. Um, maybe it was the year before. No, that was the Jeff Withy year and stuff. But he was in practice like turnaround uh, fadeaways and stuff. He was killing. So when he went to Arizona, we were like, all right, you guys got a good player, and then never played oh Zach my Peters goodness. was the same though anyways that was way off topic no but. that's fine Landon I, lo- I live for these stories man if you have any more please yeah. tell us like I said wild thing to, to go down <laughs> starts off with with sushi but okay Zach <laughs> Peters I just texted Taylor we'll yeah, see Zach, ask him if he knows you guys if, if that should test how how big of a fan you are <laughs> I failed ten, I failed ten years ago ten years ago there's a guy who lasted a few months named Zach Peters that's funny. So we we talked about your transition or how you made your way from Portland over to, to Lawrence. And whenever I look at that general region, the Pacific Northwest, I think it's severely underrated when it comes to basketball talent. I say that about the likes of Seattle and like Rainier Beach. And I think more and more people are finally understanding like, oh, yeah, we got Jason Terry from there. There's IT, right? There's DeJounte Murray, who's a little bit more contemporary, a lot of other players. But Portland as well. The, the state of Oregon is pretty huge also. The likes of you. I think Terrence Jones is from Portland. Kyle Singler's from Medford. Uh, Kevin Love's from Lake Oswego. Uh, is Wilcher. there like – Wiltshire, yeah, you're right. Is there? Do you think there's uh, a bit of an untapped resource in the state of Oregon or maybe it doesn't get its shine like it should? I think that there was for a while in the Northwest just in general. I remember that Northwest when I was kind of growing up had a lot of people from Seattle, from uh, Washington. I actually played up in Seattle. I, I was on the team with, uh, um, I played up three, four years. I had Avery Bradley, Abdul Gaddy, um, a bunch of guys from Seattle. And then at the same time in Oregon, you na- you named some of the, the big ones. And then it seemed like Kyle Wiltshire uh, was kind of the last one. And then I was, and I ended up leaving to go to uh, Finley Prep um, and then we had a, uh, th- there was a, uh, the one kid who's with the Celtics right now, uh, Pritchard, um, who was pretty good. But as far as, you know, Oregon basketball goes, I feel like there was a little bit of a lack of attention towards it. Like, you know, early, I guess that would be, or, uh, you know, like, uh, uh 2000s and stuff. Um, but then, you know, it seemed to kind of take a hit, um, after that. And you haven't really seen a lot of big names come out of there. Um, I think there's always potential, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I haven't really followed it outside of uh, you know Pritchard, who ended up doing pretty well. But um, but yeah, I know early on there was definitely a, a little bit of a lack of respect for the Northwest because we were producing a, a lot of guys there for you know 15 years or so, um, you know, early 2000s and whatnot. 
Yeah, it's very fascinating to me just seeing geographically where some of these players come from. Obviously, there's the Floridas, there's obviously the Texas, uh, the likes of people coming from Texas, but it's very interesting to me. All right, what I want to do now, Landon, is pivot to this year's team, okay? Let's talk about that tournament run. Villanova, for you personally, and then maybe if you want to speak on behalf of the team, I don't know, but for you personally first, was there a revenge factor for you going into that final four matchup, not only for the elite eight or the elite eight loss that you guys suffered when you were playing there is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I think a hundred percent. I mean, you add that with the final four, uh, the next, I think it was the next, no, two years later. Um, I, I mean, yeah, I think there was a lot, you know, I think that, uh, there's respect from coach to, um, I'm blanking on his name, uh, Jay. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, you know, I know the competitive juices and coach and how that is. And he doesn't like the fact that, you know, got a Elite Eight loss and then a Final Four loss. And they had kind of had our number over the last few tournaments. And so, um, yeah, I mean, that was a little bit of a revenge game, I feel like. Um, it, it's tough. The tournament, the way it works, I mean, it, it sucks because that's not their full team. They didn't have, you know, a, a big player due to injury. and. You know, uh, it's just kind of how the tournament works. So you just have to be uh, healthy at the right time, playing well at the right time, have your off games be against teams that you're capable of beating with the off game. Um, And, you know, that just things align differently this year where we were the team that, you know, had the momentum and had the health um, and they weren't. And so uh, I do look at it a little bit of a revenge game, but obviously uh, me personally, I would – love to have go, gone back and get that win, you know, myself, uh, you know, it's nice that we beat them and obviously went on to win the national championship. Uh, but, you know, there was those last two years that I was a part of those, uh, you know, great Kansas teams where it's just like, uh, you know, a few plays go differently here or there and you just never know uh, what happens. And so, uh, but yeah, it was great to see them go ahead and get that done. And obviously, um, you know, to, to then take advantage of that game and then uh, beat North Carolina for the championship. Um, that was a, a great way to uh, get revenge, you know, uh, as a team. Was there an added layer or maybe even a little bit poetic justice in this most recent Nova game that you beat them by the three ball, which is how they uh, yeah, beat yeah, yeah. you guys in 2018. I remember watching Mikhail Bridges and DiVincenzo and I was like, these guys just won't miss. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. fast forward to this year, Ochai was hitting, Brown was hitting. It was yeah, they I mean, Dewan Harris. Yeah, no, it was um, yeah, I mean, that's usually how it goes, it seems like. And um yeah, I, I you know, like like I said, tournaments a, a big part of that. You know, making shots is a huge part of it. And we were making the shots on that day and they weren't. Um, and they had the same thing happen against us. And so uh, yeah, I mean, it was, you could say it was some poetic justice there and, and how that, you know, shaped up and, and with the shots going down, it's nice to be that team uh, in the final four that can't miss. I mean, I'm sure that's a great feeling <laughs> as a coach and as a player, uh, because you're just like, all right, well, I mean, I think this is uh, our game to win. Um, and they went out there and, uh, you know, executed for sure. Speaking of Villanova, and we had alluded to him just briefly, how surprised were you that Jay Wright retired? I mean, I think it's the biggest news thus far of the offseason in college basketball. Yeah, no, I was surprised uh, for sure. I, I heard a, a quote uh, that said something like he was, um, you know, 70% into it or whatever. And so, like, he can't require his guys to give him 100% if he can't himself. And 
I think that's really respectable. You know, at some point in time, uh, I think with everything, I mean, I felt that a little bit with basketball myself and, you know, at, at, at some point in time, everybody's different. So it's going to come at a different time, but you will feel the moment where you can no longer give a hundred percent to the thing that you're doing. And I think it's really respectable of him to think of others and not just say, okay, I'm going to go ahead and continue on giving, you know, whatever, not a hundred percent. And what it brought up in my mind, which I was a little worried about as a Kansas guy, is I wonder at what point coach self starts feeling this um, because, you know, now he's got his second championship, only coach in Kansas history to do that. Um, you know, obviously a ton of wins, a lot of success, you know, at what point does he stop feeling a hundred percent? Um, but, you know, I think it shows that, um, at any point in time, these are humans as well, and they can eventually just be like, Hey, I'm not quite feeling this. And I think it was really respectable of him to do. I think that people should look at it that way. And, um, in a way, you know, it's not going out on top, but a final four is a pretty good way to finish, uh, your, your career. And, you know, there's only so much that you can do that's better. Um, and so, you know, I think that that's a nice little cherry on top and, and an ending for his, his career. Absolutely. I don't think we could have asked for a better final four when it comes to name brand, historical, great programs and great coaches leading the way as well. Where and you- I, I will add this too. I, you know, we did see this with uh, Tom Brady recently. It's not out of the question that you go from 70 back to 100. And I'll tell you one thing, he has a job in pretty much wherever he wants to be, um, you know, if that's the case. And so, you know, who knows if all of a sudden this comes back because I mean, even I, at one point in time, stepped away from basketball and then just was like, yeah, let me just dabble back into it because, you know, it does come and go. And and so who knows at the end of the day where he ends up. But if at this moment, that's how he's feeling, 100 percent agree uh, with his decision to go ahead and, and step down. I think another thing, especially when it comes to Jay Wright, is when we look at these older gentlemen or, or women athletes, whoever it is that retire, you're like, they're a little long in the tooth. They got gray hair. Yeah, Jay Wright has gray hair, but the guy looks like he's 50. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like he just he personifies and he looks like this young guy. You're like, damn. Well, but he's accomplished pretty much all that you can in the sport. And so has Bill Self. He's a Hall of Famer. Can you we see Bill Self? on camera he's a gregarious the way i view him he's a gregarious he's funny he's got that slight oklahoma twinge accent he does these halftime interviews you know post-game interviews take us behind the curtain though of bill self tell us who he's like like on a practice court or at a team meal that maybe we aren't, aren't able to see yeah i mean i will tell you that um and you know a little quick story he um he well, he's he's the most personable, like just easy to talk to type of guy. Um, but he's also really honest. He's brutally honest, which I was attracted to as a player because especially going through the recruiting process, you get a whole bunch of, uh, you know, oh, you're the best thing, this, that, you're going to do this, we're going to, you know, all the positives. Um, and rarely do you get very many coaches that are just like extremely just honest with you. And he came in and he said, listen, this was on my recruiting visit. He said, we're going to try our best to recruit over you every single year. And because we're Kansas, we probably will be able to. So if, you know, with that in mind, you have to realize that we're going to be getting, which they did. I mean, my freshman year, you got Joel Embiid coming in with Tark Black. 
my sophomore year, you had Cliff Alexander coming in, who was the number one big or number two big. My junior year was uh, Shek Diallo, who was a top five big or whatever. And then my senior year was Udoka. And it's like, you know, they get the best big every single year. And he was honest from the get, you're, this is what you're going to be competing against. And I appreciate that because it makes just everything he says more genuine. When he says positive things, you know that he means those positive things because he's not going to BS you. Um, and so I, I just really appreciated that honesty. And and then he wants to win and he hates losing. And so all of his decisions, whether it's in-game, whether it's in practice, no matter what, is never going to come down to, you know, your name or status or, oh, you've been here longer or, oh, you know, you are a higher recruit. It's just who can help me win. And I think as a player, you have to respect that because you want the same thing is to win. And you know that he's going to be making the decisions based off of that. And so as a coach, um, you know, he's going to, you got to have a a personality type that um, can take a little bit of heat. He wants that, you know, he wants that little bit of conflict. Uh, He doesn't like somebody that if he gets on you, you're going to back down. But once you earn that respect from him and once, you know, go through some some situations with him where he sees you can handle that, I mean, it's it's a great relationship that, you know, we've had our ups and downs. But, you know, ultimately everything, every interaction, everything with him was all uh, very positive memories looking back on it. And then now, even to this day, you know, we, we, we text back and forth. Um, it was a something after the national championship game that caught me off guard was getting texts from all the coaches right after, you know, them winning a national championship game where I'm sure there was all kinds of stuff going on to take the time to text, you know, former players and text with and talk to guys who were there years ago, um, I think means a lot as far as like, you know, what that program as a family, you know, is like, and he's ahead of that. He creates that culture throughout the coaching staff. And, you know, I just spoke with him 30 minutes before, you know, getting on this call with you. And, uh, you know, even though it's been a few years since I've seen him in person and talked with him, you know, it's easy to have conversations and we could talk for, for hours and hours if we wanted to. So um, that's the type of relationship you form. And, um, you know, very happy that I, that was the coach that I got to play for. That's terrific. What a, what a great in-depth look at a player relationship with Bill Self. I think that's terrific. Not to belabor the point on Zach Peters, but what was Bill Self's reaction when he found out? Were you next to him? Yeah, I mean, it was very confused. I think that he hasn't really had a guy that just like was like, all right, peace. Because, you know, you have to think that there's a element of, you know, a lot of these guys um, – especially this was before transfer portal where you could just, you know, bounce and go somewhere else. You were kind of locked in, uh, you know, for, to where you, you decided to go to school. So, you know, a lot of guys were like, you know, I got to make this work. And, you know, here's a guy that just was like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and, and, and dip. And uh, there was a lot of confusion. Uh, and I think that coach self, you know, really tried to work with him. I, I think that coach self gave him more, um, opportunities that he would with most. Uh, I think he saw a lot of potential in, in him. He liked him as a, a kid, you know, as a person, he was a good guy. Um, but, you know, he definitely gave him a little bit more rope than normal. And um, I think ultimately he was happy that he saw that from him then in boot camp, as opposed to, 
you know, in the last three minutes of a game that, that matters a lot, you know, and that's why we go through those type of things is so that he can get characters, you know, he can type, he can tell what type of person and player you are and will be for him in a preseason thing in October. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it was a little bit of like, you know, confusion, but then also uh, relieve that, okay, we're figuring this out now. <laughs> Absolutely. So you, you mentioned the portal. We've established that railway, I suppose, even albeit very small between Kansas and Arizona. There's also a relationship between Kansas and Arizona State. And that was no more glaring than this year with the transfer of Remy Martin and his epic second half performance in the national title game. I, I, I think it's funny. I mean, if you really peel back the layers, Landon, and you have a good pulse on, on Jayhawk Nation, do they remember that Remy was the spearhead for the guy that for the Sun Devil team that beat you guys twice? Somehow they beat mm-hmm. Kansas in Lawrence and then the next year beat him in Tempe. Like, was there sort of a 180 going on with Jayhawks fans being like, this guy killed us a couple of years ago and now he's leading us or helping us to a national title? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there was. Uh, I haven't, you know, both of those games have happened after my time and I hadn't really got a chance to follow the last few years. So, like, for me personally, I was just getting to know Remy as a Kansas player, you know, for the first time. But I'm sure there was a little bit of, you know, feeling that way. And this year was such a interesting year for Remy, you know, with the injuries, with the uncertainty as far as like when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back, you know, there were questions of, you know, uh, is there some problems between him and coach self? Is there some mental things? Who knows? And then it sounds like, you know, when I, we talked to coach self earlier, he said that, um, you know, he was trying to play through and then coach self was the one that said, Hey, you got to shut this down until you're, you know, I can see you're hurt, you know, get, get a hundred percent. And Remy was saying, Oh, I'll be ready by March. I'll be ready by March. And coach self was like, no, that's too late. If you're ready by March, you're not going to play. You know, we need you ready. You know, like he, he's, he doesn't want to have your first game be, you know, the first game of the tournament. But I think you saw that he uh, ended up embracing that you know role kind of off the bench and then growing in that role to becoming like an honorary starter and and then um where i see it finishing was almost i mean it's crazy how the butterfly effect of all this could work out but him being in that position as that player off the bench was probably the best thing for kansas and for him he's the type that can go off script and likes to go off script and if you think about how games start they start very scripted, you know, and so it's like you, you got a guy who can come in, bring that in, uh, energy, um, you know, in a situation that's kind of just free flowing, coming off the bench after the first TV timeout or whatever it may be. And uh, ultimately, I think that that was the difference in his impact on this team. And uh, I, I don't think anybody would change any part of how his season went, you know, obviously without it finished and. And so, wow, there was all that up and down and probably emotions from fans, whether they wanted him or didn't or, you know, uh, were confused by his situation, ultimately leading to 
probably the perfect combination of things to, to get it done. It's funny if you, I don't know, in some alternate reality, right? In 2018, 2019, some ghost comes down to Lawrence, Kansas to fog. And they say, look, this guy's going to torch you for two straight years. But if you're patient with me, yeah, me, <laughs> me three years and you'll, you'll hoist another national title. And uh, so speaking of fog Allen though, what makes it such a difficult venue to play just outside of the fans? We know how great the fans are, but like, does the does the floorboard sort of bounce when they go crazy? Is there something with the away locker room? What's going on in fog that makes it so great? Well, it, it it's a really interesting thing because you know as a player we we feel the excitement and the energy and whatnot. It's fun as a player, but what's crazy is um, the other the impact on the other team could not be greater. I mean, it, it's just such a difference. And I, I tell this story all the time. When you play a team and, you know, you get home and home in the Big 12, when you play a team on the road, I'm sorry about the dogs, when you play a team uh, on the road um, and then you play them at Allen Fieldhouse, it's almost like playing a different team. Um, and it's interesting, like, I, I, I'll say, like, when you hit them, they feel a little less strong. You know, when, you, when, when, when you're running with them, they don't feel as fast. You know, when, when they're making shots, like everything is just a little different. And I think that um, it's it's probably a mental thing for them. And I can't speak on it because I haven't been a team coming in the field house. But there has to be some element, especially, you know, um, in, in the past where we haven't really lost at Allen Fieldhouse at all. And there's been some stretches of years where you haven't lost. As an opposing team coming in, you have to have some part of your mind that thinks, oh, yeah, we're probably not going to win this, you know, like that has to cross your mind at some point and then affect your play. And and so I would say that that's a big part of it. And then the, as far as a player, one thing that I always noticed is that we're not out of any games um, with how the momentum can shift in that building. And I've been a part of, of, of some crazy momentum shifts. You can go from I mean, the point differential does not matter. And as long as there's time on the clock, there's always a chance to come back because that energy could flip. And once that crowd gets into it, every possession, I'm telling you, you come down the court, uh, you get a rebound, the place goes nuts. You know, somebody, you know, slides over on defense, the place goes nuts. I mean, it's it's just a whole nother level of energy that that building creates um, when momentum starts to shift in our favor. And, and that always gave us the confidence that no matter what we're down, uh, we're, we're, we probably have a good chance of coming back and ultimately winning the game. Taylor and I always reference this one game. Whenever people picked against Kansas to win the Big 12 preseason, we were like, that's just so stupid. They've won like 10 straight years in a row. And yeah. West Virginia, I don't, were you on that team yeah. that beat West Virginia that came back? That's the one game where we're just like, how does every team with a golden opportunity to take the big 12 that just happened? So you yeah, were on uh, that team. I was on that team. Yeah. I, I led the the press there for it. That was an interesting one because it was, um, I, I mean, it was a situation where I've never seen this happen, but Kansas fans started to leave early <laughs> and, and I was uh, pretty shocked to see that. And then we go ahead and put a full court press on, the pressing team and it's kind of funny how uh you know you press a pressing team and all of a sudden it's like they don't know what to do uh even though they work on it and practice against themselves every day you would think they would 
But uh, yeah, we threw the press on them, uh, made some baskets. And then, like I said, as soon as you felt the momentum switch, uh, it was like, okay, we're not losing this game. And once we cut it down, uh, that that was such a crazy, I mean, I think we were down like 15 or something with like two minutes left or something ridiculous. And um, to to chop away at that lead and then eventually force um uh, force overtime i believe yeah for force overtime we were like oh we're not losing this game um and so that was a fun one and i mean it just shows that yeah i mean when we needed to win big games and that was on the streak i think we won 14 straight or 13 straight big 12 it always seemed like there were a few games where you know the standings were getting close oh we got to win this one we got to do this or that and like we found a way to win and that was one of those ones where um we just found a way to win. And then afterwards, you don't really know how, but you're just like, we we got it done. We did it. Um, and that was a fun one to be a part of for sure. I mean, one of the best streaks and records in college basketball is that Big 12 regular season title wins winning streak that you and Bill Self have. We've got about 10 minutes and there are a few quick questions that I do want to sneak in here. Yeah. You mentioned to him a little bit. Uh, you were freshmen with Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins. Now we've mm-hmm. talked about who you've played against your AAU days, but these guys are a different level. When you stepped on the court with Andrew Wiggins and Joel Embiid, were you like, no disrespect to you, Landon, yeah. but were you like, goddamn? Yeah, I mean, I was actually, for, you know, I playing at a school like Finley Prep. Um, you look at a high school that I went to. When I first got there, the the team that we were playing with was Tristan Thompson, Corey Joseph, Anthony Bennett, um, Naz Long, Nigel Williams-Goss, uh, like a bunch of like, you know, we, we had NBA players, everything in high school. And so for me, I was fortunate that because I was playing up in AAU and then playing um, at a high school like Finley Prep, I had seen, you know, a, a lot of talent before. The one thing that stood out to me, however, and and funny enough, when Joel first got there, you would think that, you know, with what he is now, he was good. He was not very good. (laughs) He was, I remember the first practice we saw him, he he had an open layup where he hit the bottom of the backboard with it. And we were like, okay, this guy might not play this year. I mean, (laughs) he, apparently there's a story that he asked coach self if he should redshirt. Um, And so, I mean, that's what the amount of development he made. And it was so drastic that we saw it every single day in practice. And eventually, I mean, it got to a point where he could watch a video on Elijah Wan and go out and do it in a live, you know, a scrimmage practice and execute it better than anybody who put hours and hours of work into it. And so, you know, yeah, it was a little bit of a, you know, Andrew was definitely a big recruit athletic freak of nature um, but what I'll always remember is Joel uh, and the improvements he made um, were greater than I've ever seen before in, in almost any area. <laughs> you know, somebody who was able to just take information and then execute it on such a rapid pace to where somebody who's in close proximity can see the progression. It's so hard to see progression when you're, you know, with somebody every day. Um, that was just incredible. And getting a chance to, you know, uh, defend him every day in practice. I ended up becoming a guy who could guard just about anybody one-on-one. Um, I think that was a big part of it because I had to guard him every single damn day in practice. And there was a guy who I don't think on the post you could create a, a better 
touch and feel player um, that I think it made me a better player. And it was fun to get to, to spend hours and hours and reps and reps guarding him every single day. It's incredible. The development that they've both gone through Andrew Wiggins, a first time all-star starter this year, which was well-earned and terrific yeah. for him. And then Embiid, I mean, look, NBA discourse is toxic as hell. You can just, you can say who's the MVP, whoever you want, but he's certainly uh, in in the discussion at the very least, right? Him and Jokic. So it's pretty incredible. And then you mentioned Embiid's improvement also. I mean, the guy's been playing what, 15 years total? Yeah, I mean, ridiculous. it's ridiculous. ridiculous. Yeah. Um, I want to get you out of here on some quick hitters. Yeah. Best environment that you played on the road. I'm talking like the juice was on 10. You're Kansas, so you probably get everyone's best fans. Yeah, but we I'm we, got, we had a lot of good ones. I would say the best environment was usually at Iowa State. The, the Hilton was actually really, really um, loud. As far as most fun, it was going to Kentucky and, and kicking their ass in the <laughs> arena. But, uh, but yeah, I would say as far as the juice and stuff, uh, Hilton Magic, as they called it, was always a really fun place to play. What about worst? We're on a Monday night. It's boring. It's cold. There's no juice. I would say, you know, we were really fortunate that like there weren't very many, but the state, the, uh, the place that Texas played, if we did catch them on an off night, which I think only happened like once, I mean, it was kind of dead, even though it would be full. It just, the environment is like that NBA feeling arena. Um, and that was a, eh. Um, and I, I remember a game in UNLV uh, that was pretty dead. But for the most part, I was fortunate because playing at Kansas, it's everybody's biggest game usually. And so people came out to, to watch when we came into town. I believe it was your final game in a Kansas uniform. Your senior year, you lose to Oregon in the Elite Eight. Was there an added layer of disappointment that it came against your home 100%, team? 100%. Your dad. I, I, the, the amounts of uh, stories I could go into that are endless. But yes, to answer your question, um, it was that times a uh, hundred, the fact that it was Oregon and the ties that I had to those people and everybody from back home. If there was a team that I would least like to lose to my final game in the lead eight in Kansas city, it was Oregon. And just so be it, you know, it's like the opposite of a storybook ending. Uh, it was Oregon who we ended up losing to. So yes, uh, there was an added uh to, <laughs> to that game for sure we're gonna end it on a, ha a couple happier right. notes so i apologize for that you I'm ever sorry. seen the movie uh van wilder i have not no all right do you know what it's about uh, no Fill so van wilder is uh played by ryan reynolds he's okay. a seven-year college guy okay he's been in college for seven years better part of a decade i don't okay. know if you're able to piece the piece this together when you were a senior mitch lightfoot was a freshman <laughs> mitch lightfoot we have what's called on this podcast the van wilder house guys where you're like how are they still in school? And it's no disrespect. We just have fun with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But is the joke around the Kansas community that, hey, Mitch Lightfoot's the old man oh, still? Yeah. Well, what's crazy is I was with two guys. I was with Perry Ellis for for who, who everyone thought was the oldest. I was there longer than Perry. So if everybody thought Perry was old. Um, but I played with Perry, and he got the, the end of the jokes. And then, you know, I played with Mitch, and now I'm seeing those things. And it's funny because my dad brought up on the podcast that, he was the most uh, the winningest Kansas basketball player of all time. And I was like, well, if he wasn't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> that would have been a really bad, whatever, six years that, that Kansas would have gone through. Because, I mean, he played in a lot of games. But, yeah, no, it's uh, it's pretty funny. 
And I think that it was always a compliment to Perry and it should be a compliment to him as well, because when you get that, it's not only because you've been there for a while, but it's because you've had some kind of impact on the program for a while, you know, and, and people remember you from your freshman year or your sophomore year for whatever reason. And then they look at you four or five years later and they're like, damn, you're still there. And so, you know, I always think that that's a, a compliment to guys who get it, but yes, Mitch Lightfoot, he he fits the bill, if not the the top of it, for somebody who's been, who's been there seemingly for forever. And he's another Arizona connection, maybe not ASU, U of A. Yeah, yeah from, down the road. Yeah, he's uh, from like Chandler or somewhere. Yeah. I'm in Arizona right now. I live in Scottsdale, so I got married there last week, man. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, it's sunny and beautiful right now. I yeah. love it. I'll I'll have to I, after this. I'll have to figure out where exactly uh, exactly you're at. Where uh, we got married at the Camelback Inn a couple of weeks ago. I'm so. like uh, down the street from there. I could probably walk there. That's amazing. Oh my <laughs> goodness. Um, hey, so last two items here. Christian Brown, one oh. of the most electrifying players. He has he he had a great game, obviously in the title game. But when you look as a spectator, you see the CBS montages, the hype videos, getting you jacked up. And I personally didn't care. I love it, but I was shocked that they kept showing him screaming "bitch" yeah. at every <laughs> single uh, opponent. Does he yeah. have the best bitch yell in in America? I, I mean, yeah, he's one of those guys where if he's on your team, you love him. Uh, and if he's not on your team, you probably don't like him very much. And, uh, you know, somebody asked me recently, you know, if there's anybody from the team who you'd want to play with. And, uh, you know, I I said him because I'm like, as a team mate, that's somebody who you just kind of like having on your team. You know, it just gets under people's skin and uh, you, you, you like having him on your side and not the other. And so, uh, yes, I was surprised that uh, they kept going to that. But you know what? I, it made him a complete legend for it. And uh, it was fun to watch. Absolutely. We'll get you out of here on this very last segment. What we call is bring him up on stage. Okay. Landon, who is someone that you can refer to us? Oh, I'm going to leverage you here. I'm sorry. As if I haven't already leveraged you for an entire episode. Yeah. Who is someone that you think would enjoy coming up on this podcast, exchanging some stories and bringing them up on stage. Who is somebody, you know, I'm going to go to the guy who you just mentioned, uh, Mitch. I think that that's somebody who obviously is going to have a ton of stories. He's an Arizona connection. So, you know, you got that in common. He, he probably, I'm sure has a, a lot of recruiting stuff from Arizona. If he grew up, you know, and played here. Um, and he's, he's a fun guy to talk to. We had him on our podcast and uh, he definitely, you know, is similar to me where he, he has a lot of stories that he can weave into answers. So that's who uh, I would go ahead and say for uh, bring him up on stage. All right. Beautiful. Well, I'll see if I can shamelessly DM him like I shamelessly DM'd you. Sure, we can uh, set some up. <laughs> I appreciate it. Landon Lucas, make sure to check him out on uh, the Field of 68 podcast. It's He hosts the Glue Guys podcast. Landon, thank you so much for your time, man. I really enjoyed this. This is going to be a terrific episode, and I hope uh, you enjoyed your time as well. I did. Thanks for having me. All right. We want to thank Landon again. Some incredible stories, some great humor. I had no idea he was so close to my wedding venue. I would have thrown you a invite there, Landon. I think we had some last second drop-offs. Uh, if you had the time, could have could have helped me out with my barat. The shark and Taylor helped me out with my barat. If you don't know what that is, that's me parading down on a horse to uh, the wedding venue. Uh, take a look at some of the pictures. It's a lot of fun. Or YouTube it. I had a blast. But now we are back uh, into the off season 
and we're going to be looking forward to some more interviews. I'm working on that for, for the podcast and for you guys, but I really hope you did enjoy that interview with Landon Lucas, taking us into his days at AAU ball in, in Oregon and, and also at Finley prep. Um, and then I thought one of the best nuggets he dropped on us was going up against Joel Embiid. You look at where Joel and Andrew Wiggins were their freshman year. And I think they ended up losing to Stanford, the chase and Randall team uh, in the tournament. And now Embiid's one of the most dominant bigs in, uh, in the league. Um, and then Andrew Wiggins, of course, making an all-star team, just some wonderful stories there from Landon. And we really, really do appreciate his time. And we thank you guys for listening. We will catch you next time here on Theater and College Hoops.